0: Hi, friends. Uh, welcome to the Asian Americans. Uh, this is episode 99. And and for me, this episode is, is so important and so meaningful um, because it really brings us brings me back full circle of why I started this in the first place. You'll hear from our guest today, Brian Lee, why a missed question or a missed opportunity on a different interview show that he was on actually led to uh, the idea and my determination that I wanted to create something to uh, fill a void that I saw in the Asian-American uh, speaking, uh, speaking or podcast world. Um, I, I want to thank Brian for giving us this time to share. Um, he is very well accomplished and a very busy person. And I asked a mutual friend of ours to connect us and uh, he instantly said yes. And and uh, was so gracious to uh, spend time with us before we get to the interview. I, I do want to share. This is such an important episode for me tomorrow Uh, We'll be sharing our 100th episode, uh, which is me in the guest chair. So from starting this a year ago, almost a year ago, and to have the person who unknowingly was the motivator and the catalyst for making all of this happen, really full circle moment. Thank you to everybody who has listened so far. And if you're joining us relatively uh, recently here on The Journey on Dears and Americans, welcome. Some of the episodes are long, and I know we've put a lot of content out there in the universe, but I encourage you to go back and take a listen to some of our earlier episodes, as I do think that they're also a, a indication and, and a sign of how our community has evolved and changed in the last year. And so thank you so much. I appreciate your support in listening to our show and engaging with us on social media. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The and Americans. Hope you're staying safe and hope you are staying healthy. I say that every single episode and for the majority of 2020, when we started this show, uh, almost a year ago, the health and safety was merely about COVID and merely about taking care of ourselves uh, from the virus. And and now, you know, as we sit here at the end of uh, February in 2021, un- unfortunately taking on a whole new meaning, our, our community is being harassed with anti-Asian sentiments and racism and even physical attacks. Some of uh, that, some that have unfortunately uh, resulted in death and particularly our most vulnerable community. So it's, it's been an exhausting and tiring time for so many of us. And uh, if you're listening to this, thank you. Uh, we know that you care about our voice and you know we know that we care about our community. So if you're joining us uh, relatively uh, new, uh, join us for the journey as, as we share Asian American stories here on our podcast. My, my guest today is somebody that I've actually been waiting almost two years to talk to. I shared with him this story uh, a, a few weeks ago as we were getting ready to uh, set up this recording. But Brian Lee is the person who actually sparked the idea and cemented the inspiration that I needed to start an Asian-American podcast that was rooted in an origin stories. And so uh, we'll, we'll share that story in a little bit more um, as we talk to uh, Brian Lee today. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are
1: you? Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, you know, it's it's been a, an interesting time, you know, to be alive, to be an Asian-American in our uh, society today. You know, but I, I think, you know, going doing what we do here on the show and just you know I know for you and, and for me and so for many other people even outside of our main things that we do to elevate into uh, work in our community is really being I don't want to say validated but there, there's a lot of you know importance in what we're doing and so I'm really glad to be having this conversation how, how are you and your family doing through all of this
1: yeah, we're doing fine thank you for asking I mean this is difficult on all of us of course um you know not just living through this pandemic, but living through this awakening uh, period of, of America as well. And you know we we really hope for the best for everyone. Uh, hope everyone's staying safe and staying well and um and doing the best that we we all can do. Uh, so thank you
0: yeah, and and I'm particularly excited to you know learn your story today because you know you grew up in Los Angeles at a time when there weren't as many uh, Asian Americans, Korean Americans. And, and so I'm excited to hear that, but I do want to share with the audience sort of why I'm so geeked out and, and to admit a little bit nervous to have this conversation. So I, I shared just now that Brian was really the inspiration and the motivational point for me to actually commit to starting this show. And then so to tell that story, we have to go back uh, probably even a year or two before we started the show, and I was listening to a, a different podcast hosted by uh, entrepreneur uh, Damon John, and you were the guest, Brian, and it was you know, the title of the show was called Rise and Grind. And it was, you know, as, as many podcasts do sharing the entrepreneurial journey of people who've done great things. And it was about discipline and it was about habits. And there was a particular question that was asked of you that was centered around your childhood and and the things that you experienced and the emotions that you felt being the child of your immigrant parents, Korean immigrant parents growing up in LA in the seventies, you know, not quite sure if it was, you know, uh, edited or if it wasn't, but there wasn't too much follow-up question. And there was a little bit, for me, a, a lack of, well, what was it about you being the child of immigrants that really inspired you to be who you became? And it just pivoted to a different part of the conversation. And, and I distinctly remember where I was. And I, I was driving, I was near the USC campus. I turned off you know, my, my podcast thing and I was like, holy crap, that's what I want to know. And I really hope to get to ask Brian about that one day. And so uh, two, two, two and a half years later, um, I'm excited to do that today. And so I wanna say thank you. I, I know um, I, I purposely didn't reach out even though uh, we have so many mutual friends in common about why I started this and how I started this because I wanted it to get to a year and I wanted to sort of do this as, as retrospect. And so uh, really just thank you for, for what you've done and what you've done for so many of us in the community that look to you and, and your co-founders and your friends and your community that give us something to look up to, uh, especially from a business and entrepreneurial perspective, it it really does mean a lot. And uh, big shout out to uh, our mutual friend Gloria, uh, the ever super connector within our Korean American uh, community out here in Los Angeles, uh, for for connecting us. So l- let's roll back a little bit. Actually, you know what? Before we roll back, do you, do you remember that interview? And did you feel that? Did you feel what I felt or did you actually have a conversation and the editors decided to not air that portion, the, the part where he asked you about the childhood part?
1: You no, know, honestly, it's like I, I do remember the interview and I actually don't remember anything being edited out. I think they just, to your point, kind of skipped on to, to the next subject um, and didn't really dive that much deeper into you know, my upbringing. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to, to having that discussion with you. Um, And, you know, honestly, I'm just very honored that, uh, you know, you asked me to be on on this podcast because what I think, uh, I I think it's incredibly important what you're doing uh, for the Asian American population and for Asian American entrepreneurs. And um, I'm just really happy to be here. So thank you.
0: Thank you. I I think the immigrant story is something that so many of us, and we say immigrant, but, you know, we, we understand that not all of us come here by choice. And there are community members who are here through refugee status or through adoption and, and however you ended up in this country, there is really th- that communal feeling and not just for Asian Americans, but for, for all immigrants to this country that know what it means to feel otherized and, and um, even for our parents to other themselves and their identity. Um, and, and so, Brian, take us back to your family's origin story here to America. How did the Lee family find themselves in Los Angeles under what circumstance? And tell us a little bit about you growing up in L.A. Well,
1: sure. So, um. We immigrated to America uh, when I was just a baby. Uh, I was about one year old. Uh, I have one older sister. Uh, She was two years older than than me, her name is William. And we came to America because my my father's uh, older sister um, immigrated to America and was living in San Diego and basically became our sponsor and so we moved to America and we lived uh, in her home, in my aunt's home, uh, for the first couple of years. And my parents had told me that when we came from Korea, we really came with nothing. Uh, my father said it was uh, me, my sister and and my mom and uh, two pieces of luggage and five hundred dollars. <laughs> That's what we we came with. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a true immigrant story. Um, they really came to America uh, very similar to many of our, your listeners here uh, and their parents, uh, it, it's really to, to set up a, 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 a better life for um, uh, the family, uh, seeking uh, opportunities and seeking, you know, better educations for their children and, 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 and so forth. And so they came with, um, you know, with the American dream uh, in mind and it was, it wasn't easy. It was, it, was, it was very, very difficult, uh, just like um, most immigrants. Because although my parents both went to universities uh, in Korea, they didn't speak English. And so that's always um, the, the hardest part for, for being an immigrant, especially down in San Diego. And we immigrated in 1972, uh, so it was very early. We were kind of like the first early wave of, of uh, at least Korean-Americans um, uh, coming to America. Um and so my father, and stop me anytime, uh, Jared, if I, if I if I if I go on too long here. Um, but my father um, came, and basically he worked two jobs. Uh, he worked um, during the day. He worked making furniture, uh, and he would make booth furniture, so restaurant booth furniture, at uh, a company called uh, Mackenzie. Uh, not McKenzie Consulting, but McKenzie uh, Furniture. <laughs> um, and at, at night, he would actually work in the orange fields, uh, picking oranges with, a, with the day laborers. And then my mother, my mother actually worked at Bayer Aspirin. Uh, she worked at the factory there. And this was before automation, where she used to actually count out 25 pills to a bottle. And so they would, she would put 25 pills in, inside one little uh, plastic bottle, and that was her job and that's our life uh, that's how our life started in america um i could i could go on if you, you like I I, I I don't know where how
0: how thank you for that context because i i think we often in my generation i i was born you know uh, probably a decade slightly after after you and, and we came here in the 80s or in the, in the 90s rather excuse me and immigration patterns all these things or you know what we what we romanticize as the immigrant story now, as, as challenging as people's stories have been, we don't necessarily think that our parents had those jobs, right? the, the really challenging blue collar jobs and even um, those very, very hard labor jobs that we don't necessarily associate as much as we should. And, and so that context is, is, is important to understand where, where you started. Tell us a little bit more about growing up in San Diego. What were, were you the only family around? Like, was there other people that looked like us? No,
1: basically, no. I I can't remember much about it because we only lived in San Diego. We lived in an area called Mira Mesa, uh, which is in San Diego. and We lived there up until I was only about uh, four years old. And then we moved to Orange County. Um, And in Orange County, my dad actually continued working, uh, building furniture and then working in the orange fields. Um, I remember he used to drive this, this white Toyota pickup truck and he would come home and there would sometimes be probably four or five oranges left over in his pickup truck. Um, and uh, we, we would eat those uh, after dinner. Uh, um, they're, they're always very delicious, I remember that. Um, but to continue the story, basically, um, my father uh, you know, worked at this furniture manufacturer uh, during the day and he would ask the owner who was actually named Mr. McKenzie, he would say, you know what, can I can I go, in his broken English, he would say, can I go sell the furniture? And Mr. McKenzie would always say, no, your job is to make the furniture. <laughs> so go back and make the furniture. So one day, my father um, basically went to him after a couple years of making furniture. He said, can I, if, I, if I sold furniture on weekends, would you give me the same commission that you give to your other salespeople? And the guy basically said, you know, if you, if Whatever you want to do on the weekend, if you want to sell French on the weekend, if you sell anything, I'll I'll give you the same commission. And so my dad basically started, you know, knocking on the doors of other Asian-owned restaurants uh, during that period, and there weren't that many, but there's a handful of Chinese restaurants and Japanese restaurants at the time. And honestly, I think they were just blown away that my dad would, you know, knock on the door and try to sell them anything. They, they'd never seen an Asian salesperson before. And so they all kind of kind of befriended my dad and, and, and bought furniture uh, from my dad. And within a couple of years, my dad became the top salesperson at that furniture company. Um, so it was a fascinating journey. And then my dad realized that, you know, selling furniture was great. But, you know, once you sold the furniture into the, uh, the restaurant, um, it was a tough sell to sell it again. You know, you didn't get another sale for a few years until the furniture wore out. And so my dad started thinking, um, and he was very forward-thinking uh, at this, because this is in the '70s or uh, early '80s, even. And um, he, he he was thinking, what can I manufacture in Asia and bring here to the United States and use my restaurant connections that the the one that he's built uh, over time selling furniture, and he wanted something that was a little bit higher turnover, uh, as opposed to furniture that had you know a, a very long lifetime value. And so he thought to himself, and he, he, he thought, utensils. All these restaurants use utensils. He thought they were paying too much for the utensils because everything was made, still being manufactured here in the United States. And so it was a very, very simple selling proposition. He would go to these restaurants, and he said, "You know, if, I, if I sold you uh, utensils, spoons, forks, knives, um, same quality that you have today, for half the price, <laughs> would you buy it for me? And they all knew my dad from, you know, the furniture business. And so they said, you know, Lee, if you, if you, if you could do that, of course we'll buy it from you. Right. So my dad started a utensils like stainless steel, um, uh, utensil company and he just kept growing it. And I remember I was about call it seven, eight years old when he started doing that business. Um, and it was just, a uh, you know, he's an entrepreneur and he, um, he grew that business to, to a substantial size uh at, at one point i think he was one of the largest um, importers of stainless steel utensils in america because he had uh, signed i mean I, I think every kind of restaurant chain you could you can imagine from at that time it was like sambos and denny's and uh bob's big boy black angus sizzlers um Marie calendars i mean every large restaurant chain was purchasing their utensils from my father. And so I used to work in my father's, uh, warehouse every summer, <laughs> pick pack and shipping, um, utensils to, to the different restaurant chains. And, um, he did that for quite a while until, uh, I was in high school Then he actually sold that business. Um, and semi-retired, uh, after that. Uh, but, there, uh,
0: mm-hmm. man, there's, there's so much even, I know we're not a business show. We, we end up telling business stories because so much of what we do is, is rooted in it. But, I mean, there, there's a lot of so many lessons there. Just, I mean, even just the idea to go to the Asian-owned restaurants, right? Like, there's a lot of movement right now to support our own businesses, right? But he knew his market, right? And, and, and for the folks who only view uh, traditional education as, as, a, as a bar for what people can do, like. You don't, you, you can be a, a furniture maker and saying like, Hey, I feel more comfortable talking to people who look like me and they trust me. And then to say, Furni- the, the better furniture we make, the less it breaks and the less it breaks, the less they buy. And so, you know, um, I know, uh, in, in the world that you operate in now and uh, that is so familiar with us, you know, AR and MRR, like annual monthly recurring revenue is, is sort of the goal, right? Like how, mm-hmm. Um, how can we extend or increase the total lifetime value of a customer? And for him to have that insight saying, I'm a hell of a sales, you know, a furniture salesperson, but they're not going to buy from me again because the stuff I sell is pretty dang good. That's right. right. So, yeah, so you, you know, were learning you these know, lessons very early on, even, I mean, in hindsight, these are business lessons, but in the moment, it was just you looking up to your dad, just like bettering your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's really interesting is that when my father started you know, his business, he really relied upon the Asian community, to your point. And it was that Asian community supporting my father that gave me the life I have today. Right, And I, I, I wish that we could all go back to a time where we all you know, support Asian businesses and support each other and help each other rise up uh, the same way that my father was helped by that community. Um, and so, yeah, so I would watch my father you know, work really hard on these utensils and I think I always kind of knew that, um, you know, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, after, you know, watching my dad build his business. And I always, the, the other thing is being a child of immigrants, you, you you know, and you see how hard your parents work, right? And I, I remember my mom told me this story once. Um, this is, gosh, I was in high school when she told me this story, um, that when she was at Bear Aspirin, uh, any time uh there so the, her boss asked people to for overtime work um my mother was always the first one to raise her hand because you got paid a, a time and a half for overtime work and that really struck a chord with me cuz mm. you know it, was, it just showed like the hustle you know and determination to 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 volunteer to to add more little pills to a bottle you know for for for, for an extra 50% is like it just showed me like, gosh, whatever I do in life, I've got to work just as hard as my parents, at least, at least because they're doing this for me and my sister. Yeah. Right. And, and so for me, it's like hard work was never the issue. You know, it's like I always I was always instilled with it. And and, and to this day, it's like nothing, nothing. I, I feel like nothing is given to you. Nothing. No one will ever kind of just show up on your doorstep and say, "Here's a whole bucket of success," right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, besides you know the, the the very few people who win the lotto, right? Right. <laughs> but, right. But other than that, it's you. It's, it's 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 hard work. You know, it's hard work, and it's a journey, and it, it's something that you you have to strive for and, and not be scared of. You know, and and, and so for me, it's like I, I saw how hard my parents worked, and that was um. And I think that played a huge part into you know, me, uh, you know, building
0: the companies that I built. I'm I'm getting like excited and and chills. here just listening to your story, Brian, because I'm, I almost wish you told this on the other podcast, but I'm glad you didn't (laughs) because this would have never happened. (laughs) But you know, there's so much talk and um, toxic positivity and hustle and wake up at four and just, you know, uh, it's mindset and everything magically happens. And we don't ever hear the contextual things that make us as Asian Americans different in the way that we approach success and our, our histories, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you see that growing up, like I remember what you said on, on the other podcast, which was when you see that you have no choice but to work hard. But anybody can say that, right? Mm-hmm, but this mm-hmm. context is fully so important because, you know, I, I think especially in our – Day and age and society of instant gratification and, and sound bites and headlines, people will look at somebody like you and go, "Oh look at all those logos look look at look at the success you know and now he's helping other people succeed hmm. and they just may have assumed that you were born into it or you know uh, check the merit you know the the model minority myth and go, "Oh a Korean guy that's a lawyer well, that makes sense right yeah. and then just sort of you yeah. know not 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 purely invalidating our, our experience, but just saying like, oh, he probably didn't struggle, right? Because what, what do, what do uh, East Asian men who are educated have anything to complain about? Or, you mm-hmm. know, what, what challenges must have they had? And I know that we don't have it the worst, but I think our parents have done things that we probably won't be able to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, we take it one generation before that, like our grandparents, born into occupation and had to fight a war like mm-hmm. on their own land and, and see some stuff that we, we probably won't be able to deal with in the same way. Right. That's the context that I, I want to share more of in our community because, and not just in our community, but also with our friends and our allies to just let them know that like the context matters. And I'm so glad that you're sharing this with, with me today and then with our audience because there's got somebody who's resonating with this so much right now, whether their parents did the same things or. They're going through some challenging times right now as, as we're trying to figure out you know how to come out of this strong so it it sounds like you had the entrepreneurial blood running in you, you had the ingenuity of you know looking at systems and knowing that you know they could be worked in favor to your benefit how How did the legal profession come into your world? What were some of the things that your parents were encouraging you to dream of being? I know that so many of us pursue or I guess are, are told to pursue education, but what was that like for you growing up in terms of what you were expected to do?
1: You know, um, I think my my mom always encouraged me to do something on the professional side, professional services side, because she saw my dad's journey and how difficult of a journey it is. Right? It, it's um, it's it's just a lot of, for at least my father was a lot of travel to Korea and Asia, you know, dealing with factory issues and and so forth and. It was it was it was a lot um and so my mom always thought like okay brian why don't you just like just like most most uh, uh asian mothers um was like become a doctor become a lawyer become an accountant you know do something the more professional services side and so um but it wasn't just that though at least for myself i, I was I, I consider myself a semi-late bloomer um so when i was in college i went to to ucla Uh, for for undergraduate school um and while I was at UCLA I I really just didn't know what I wanted to do um career-wise I was I was I was like you know just enjoying being in school and you know learning and and but also uh spending time with um just a myriad of different friends and hanging out and you know just kind of learning life if you will um and so for me, I just I just didn't know. And so I, I actually, when I was a senior uh, in college, I I decided, you know what, I, I don't know what I want to do. I, I don't know what job I want to, you know, pursue. And so I actually applied to, to law school. And I only applied to one. I applied to UCLA Law School because I was already there. And I thought, okay, well, law school is three more years of, of school, and It'll give me more time to figure out what I want to do. That's basically why I applied to law school. It was never that I wanted to be a lawyer. It was really that, okay, a few people said it never hurts to have a law degree. And basically, uh, I figured it gave me more time to to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I went to law school. Luckily, I got in. And so I went to the UCLA School of Law. And, you know, but a funny thing happens in law school is that, you know, all your friends start you know, getting jobs at law firms, and and so I felt like okay, maybe that's my path. And so I I got a job at uh, uh, some you know some law firms, and kind of did that for a couple of years, and realized you know that this isn't really for me either. Um, and I remember that I I would meet with uh, my best friend Brian Liu at the time that I went to law school with. It was. It's kind of confusing, Brian Lee and Brian Liu. (laughs) Brian (laughs) Liu was was my closest friend, and we would meet up for lunch every day in downtown L.A., and every day we were like, okay, there's got to be something better than uh, working for these law firms. Um, It's not that I I didn't like the people I worked with. I I really enjoyed the people. It was just the actual work itself that wasn't fulfilling for me, um, and neither was it for Brian Liu. And so we started drumming up uh, different ideas. And at the time, this is back in you know, 97, 98, 1997, 98. Oh I have sounds like so long ago now. Um, <laughs> but we, the internet was just kind of starting up and, and getting hot. And so we we're like, okay, well, maybe we could do something legal related uh, online. Um, and so that's where we started dreaming up uh, the idea to, to, to start a, uh, something online. And so that was kind of the genesis of, of LegalZoom. Although the first idea we had. Uh, it was a totally different idea. It was um, it was called a uh, Le- law garden. Was the name of it. And we <laughs> never actually watched it, but we were both into a band called the Sound Garden at the time.
0: And so we it sounds so law- serene, like yeah. the law is peaceful and
1: <laughs> right, right. And and it was the idea was that we were just going to have a bunch of stay at home attorneys answer calls by the minute uh, and chat with you. Uh, but we actually scrapped that idea and started a uh, legalzoom.com uh, together uh, out of my condo. And yeah, that was uh, the start of LegalZoom.
0: Talk to us about pivoting away from the thing that you wanted to study because you're right. And, and I went through it, too. You know, we out of either uh, obligation or, um, our, you know, our, our parents uh, <clears throat> mix career ambitions with honor and respect. And it's so bad. But, you know, <laughs> for, for so many different reasons, uh, so many in our community pursue graduate school. You know, I went to business school much later in life. I, I flirted with uh, law school by taking the outset at least a couple of times. Um, uh, but but people go, right? But then once they go, they get into this sunk cost mindset of, well, hell, I'm in law school. I might as well do it for a couple of years, right? I went yeah. to business school. I might as well do banking, consulting, whatever, mm-hmm. until something. But you and Brian decided to say, okay, we're going to finish law school, but this isn't for us. Like that's yeah. really one bold revolutionary and and something that not a lot of people have the confidence to do what was it about your situation that you know and and like it wasn't like you had this you know all all the resources in the world to say like hey i don't need to worry about getting a job like you know there was a lot of sacrifice as as you told the story before you know in, in starting the company what was it the conviction of the product market fit to use you know current business terms or was it just the, I really don't want to go work at a law firm, so I have to make this work.
1: No, it was, it was a combination of a lot of things. I, I, re- I remember um, even the decision to leave a law firm was not an easy one. Um, I remember telling my mom that I was going to leave, and she started crying. <laughs> She's like, no, why are you doing this? Um, so that was a hard one. My dad was a little bit more supportive, but my mom was like, no. Um, and then, But the thing is, for me at least, I, I, I was at a firm. Uh, it was a, it was a top, uh, firm, uh, based in New York. Um, and I, at the time I was there, believe it or not, there were no Asian partners, like just none. And so there, and, and, and I, I looked at the starting class that I started, um, my first year, uh, with at the firm and I was the only Asian guy there. Um, and I, honestly, it's like, I looked around in uh, of my start class and, 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 they all worked harder than me, believe it or not. <laughs> and, and they, they, they actually enjoyed what they were doing. Um, and I just realized like, gosh, this is pretty hard. It's going to be pretty hard to make partner here. And that's really, the, that was a, a, another revelation for me was this, you know, when, when, when you don't have any mentors, you know, to look up to, you know, it's hard to see yourself in, in a certain position. Right? And so when you look at a firm where that has zero Asian partners at the time, and, and, and you, know, you, you, you tell yourself, well, gosh, am I going to be the first one to break that barrier? You know? And so for me, it's like, I was like, okay, well, that's going to be a slog. And plus, I, don't, I didn't really even enjoy the work. And so that was kind of one of the, uh, the main reasons for, for departing a firm and starting LegalZoom. But it was also, we, we did have a lot of conviction in, in the idea for LegalZoom. And I remember when we started the company, Brian Liu and I, um, we basically, our very first venture capital meeting happened on the day that the NASDAQ crashed. Ooh. The first time right the, the, the dot-com bust, right? And, and uh, I remember we knocked on the door of his uncle who was a venture capitalist. And he's like, what are you doing here? And we're like, well, we came to pitch you our dot-com idea. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember he said, he sat us down, and he looked at us and said, it's over. And we're like, what's over? He says, the internet is over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and there you are pitching an internet business. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. We're like, we're here for a dot-com idea. And then, and then he, 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 he was serious. He's like, okay, it's not going to come back for a long time. The valuations are sunk. you are never going to raise money. Um, but you guys should and we had both quit our jobs at the time, right? And he says, you guys should go and try to get your jobs back, right? <laughs> and <they> we're like, <laughs> oh boy, right? So we, Brian and I, uh, I remember we went to Benny um, which was across the street from his uncle's office. And we, we sat down at Benny for lunch. And um, we actually like, we asked each other, we're like, well, how much do you really believe that this is gonna work, this idea for Legal LegalZoom? And, and both of us said 100%. 100%, this is going to work. I mean, why would anyone want to pay you know, $2,000 for forming a corporation as opposed to $200 if it's the same you know, end result? And so we were convinced, right? We were convinced, but the craziest thing is that no one else was convinced <laughs> mm-hmm. because we had approached probably at least 50 or so venture capital firms for investment, and, and literally not a single one stepped up and gave us any money. None of them, like zero. And so we started LegalZoom with, with nothing. We borrowed a little bit of money from my parents, like $25,000. And we borrowed $25,000 from his parents. I mean, luckily, both of our parents were in a position to lend us $25,000. And I know a lot of people aren't in that position. So we were very fortunate in that way. Um, but we started LegalZoom with $50,000 and started it out of my condo. Um, right next to Koreatown, actually. I was living right off of uh, Larchmont
0: Boulevard. We we hear so much these days about access to capital, um, particularly mm-hmm. in the world that you live in now, and, and venture capital and, and startups, and you know just the lack of available resources of even having a network that includes people like you. And how was that like when you were pitching LegalZoom? Was it did you get the sense that because it was you know two Asian guys in LA with a with a .com idea that wasn't you know I, I know again you just mentioned the timing couldn't have been worse from a financial market perspective but what were some of the hurdles that you felt did you and Brian talk about it was it felt just the fact that it was you two trying to build a legal business
1: yeah you know I think I think you know in hindsight you know it, it may have played a factor that we're both Asian um, I, 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 I am you know I, I like to think it, it, it doesn't but yeah. it probably did Right. and and so for me it's kind of um you know it, even when you look at my career believe it or not like the thing about legal zoom is that because we didn't raise any capital i think it was a good thing because we had to be profitable from the get-go and we right. just built that company it was legal zoom was never a sexy business right it never grew 100 percent 500 percent a year you know it was it wasn't that business it was it was about as cool as HR block right? <laughs> <laughs> it was um, it, it was we just grew it like 10 to 20 percent growth every year very profitable and and you know after 20 years of that type of growth and profitability it became a, a substantial uh, business a good sized business and so you know but in hindsight what happens um, is that and this I think anyone who who built something that scaled could tell you that you know, success follows more success, right? And and once you have something successful, it's a lot easier, truthfully, the second time around to even raise capital. Um, but for me, you know, after LegalZoom, uh, when I did start raising capital from venture capitalists, the 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 capitalists that are, I'm closest to are are all Asian, mm. and and I never not really thought about that really until until uh, more recently as well yeah. that. You know, the person who backed um, uh, Shoe Dazzle is Jeremy Liu uh, from Lightspeed Ventures.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: the person who ended up um, uh, backing me at The Honest Company as well is Jeremy Liu and then Eric Liao from uh, IVP and Neil Secura, uh who is um, uh, at now at, well, he was at General Callas and he's Asian and he's now at uh, Defy uh, Ventures, he a firm he started on his own. And so if you look at the three venture capitalists that I really am closest to you who have backed me and supported me they are all Asian. Hmm. And, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of look at that in my journey there and I honestly kind of liken it to my father yeah. that I told you at the beginning that the, it was the Asians who supported other Asians. And, you know, I, I, I really take that to heart that I, I'm so appreciative that, you know, I, I actually can, you know, uh, be Asian American, uh, be an Asian entrepreneur and, 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 and have uh, relationships that are you know, at these big firms that, that are also uh, uh, of Asian descent too.
0: Yeah, I, there's, I mean, we can probably talk about this for, for hours, Brian, because I think you, you've you lived it and then now you're on the other side, Um, you know, not working just with Asian Americans or Asians, but, you know, you, you know what it feels like to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um. So tell us about what you felt because I I think, you know, again, going back to sort of this, we we've been taught and and I was told, you know, I uh, you know, we came here in the early nineties when I was eight. And, you know, my my father was was a physician and and we came here to sort of restart and, and and so the context is a little bit different, but we were also told, you know, assimilation was sort of what my parents had wanted for us to be American, to go to a good great American school and to, you know, uh, as, as a lot of, I don't know, my mom says, you know, big American company, right? You know, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm, like size mm-hmm. and longevity, sort of the way that the Korean infrastructure works, right. If you work for a conglomerate, they'll take care of you for life. Certainly isn't the case as much here, but it's this notion that, that our race and our identity wouldn't really play a role into our, our success or our challenges. And, and so as Somebody who is now on the other side, you know investing in and, and mentoring you know newer folks or I guess you know people earlier in their journey. Um, what what advice do you have in, in terms of you know and, and I say this and I want to be you know careful, I don't want to misspeak, but there's a part of our community that purely still believes that meritocracy rules all and that their degrees and their ideas or their merit Short, short to say that their race or their gender or their uh, anything else doesn't play a role in how people treat them or what their success looks like. what, what has been your perspective living through it and and now on the other side, uh, mentoring some of these younger folks?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. It's, um, for me it's, um, I am a believer that that meritocracy uh, you know wins out at the end, but at the same time, you have to allow people to achieve merit right and and I think that's where we fall short uh, as, a, as, as people, right? And so, you know, very, I mean, this is a, a very complex, of course, issue and complex problems that we deal with, deal with as a society. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm actually um, on the board of uh, my children's school of, of all things. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of work for diversity, you know, equity and inclusion at the school. And, you know, it's just fascinating to see that even in a school, um, it's kind of a, the school is a microcosm really of America and what's happening.
0: Mm. You
1: know, you have such a, uh, a, a kind of a hardcore group on the left, call it 5% of the people, and a hardcore group of, on, on the right, call it another, you know, 5%. But is that five percent on each side that are still loud, you know, and they want their voices heard? And um, it's 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 interesting, you know, because I would say ninety percent of the people are more kind of you know in the middle, right? And 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 so for me, it's kind of like you know I look at all the different issues and um, you know, especially when it comes to Asians, especially, and you know, I I, I you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, Asians in particular are, you know, in a really, really just tough spot mm. in today's world, yeah. right? It, it, we're in a spot where it's like, I, I, we're, we're not really considered, you know, people of color in a lot of ways, right? And, and I'll tell you, it, it, what was fascinating for me, what, the reason I brought up this whole DEI, DEI thing uh, diversity equity inclusion is that they had a, um, a person of color uh, event a people of color event at the school and didn't invite me oh. <laughs> I'm telling you it's just true it's like oh, and you're the chair of the board no maybe, nah, maybe they didn't invite me. I, I, I take that back <laughs> maybe, <they> did, <laughs> but maybe, I, maybe I missed the email but it was this it was just interesting because sometimes I kind of feel like you know as Asians we're you Know, I mean, it's the typical thing that we all yeah. talk about all the time. It's like we're the silent, we're the silent, you know, uh, minority, and 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 we're the um, you know, we, we 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 really do have to kind of you know join together really to be yeah. heard. And and there, I mean, there, I know that there have been a lot of great kind of groups that have been formed even recently, you know, like Gold House, you, you know, those guys, and yeah you know, the, the, the A100 or, 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 you know, all these different Korean groups that are formed to, to, to have our voices heard. And I think we're absolutely heading in the right direction uh, there, but it's, um, we need more of it. We just need more.
0: It's it's funny yeah. you bring that up. Cause we, we had a, um a clubhouse chat with some business school friends of mine and um it was joined on by some folks. And it's always that notion of like, you know, if if the corporate recruiter has an event and it's a diversity event, like, do they mean us or, you know, wh- wh- are we part of the conversation, you know, but what I, what I am inspired by and what I am excited about, Brian, and I think it's people like you who sit in these roles and sit in these rooms where our voices are heard. And I know that you and so many others, it's not just representation. I know we use that term a lot, that representation matters, but that's not enough, right? Because just looking like one of us, but if you don't advocate for us, then that actually does harm. Because then you normalize the silence that people, you know, assume us to have. But it is asking for space. It is, you know, movements like we're seeing now, I think, to really say like, hey, yeah, you know, meritocracy, I agree. You know, I'm privileged, too. I admit that, you know, the schools, the jobs that I've had, like, I I worked hard. But I also understand that not everybody had the same starting line as I did. Right. But then the goal is how do we make it so that everybody has... You know, equal chance to have the same things, right? And to to use the privilege that we have, and uh, to bring others up, and and so I I think that's wonderful. I mean, you you are doing it primarily through uh, you know investing in founders to to give them a chance to grow their businesses. And so t- tell us about that transition from going from uh, you you founded LegalZoom, you know you you decided to step away, and now uh, you know Rich is running it very well, and. Uh, you decided to co-found The Honest Company with Jessica Alba, which I think most people know you for. And then I guess, you know, most people know you for Honest Company, and then they don't uh, know as much what you did before, which was LegalZoom, and then which is what you're doing now, which is, you know, BAM Ventures and, and using that as a platform to empower uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. How, how does that, it sort of makes sense from a founder, founder to VC, but um, how was how the personal decision-making process for you and getting to that point?
1: You know, for me, it it, it was really more about um, I, I. To your point, I, I'm I'm an entrepreneur, and the most enjoyable stage of a business for me is the startup phase, right? So even looking back, and LegalZoom is now you know almost 22 years old, believe it or not. And so, but the most enjoyable time for LegalZoom really was working out of my condo. It was it was with a small team. We ate <laughs> top ramen noodles you know basically almost every day but that was the fun part you know and and i'm almost addicted to that part of mm-hmm. of growing a company um and so actually after LegalZoom, zoom the the company i started after LegalZoom zoom was shoot hassle ah, that's right yeah uh with my wife mira and with kim kardashian and so um and i had a founder of co-founder mj uh mj Eng. um and he, he's always fantastic. But uh, we started Shoe Dazzle, uh, and we kind of grew that one and ended up selling it to a company called Textile uh, down in El Segundo. Yep. And then the Honest Company was the third startup uh, I started, and I started that with uh, Jessica Alba uh, and grew that for co- – co- was the co-founder CEO for the first uh, five or so years of that company. And then started a company called Art of Sport, uh, more recently with um with kobe bryant uh and you know, it, was, it was uh it was crazy kobe uh passed away a week before we launched the product uh into target yeah so we kind of uh scrambled and uh you know all the products were were developed by by kobe in terms of uh the percent pro is it a it's a deodorant and body shampoos and, and so forth uh company um but uh we, we started working with um With James Harden and a bunch of other athletes uh, that actually Kobe put together this whole team. Uh, Juju Smith is one of the one of the athletes we work with, but it was it was devastating for us to to lose Kobe uh, the way that we lost him. Um, And then you know I've been working on Bam Ventures, which is a venture capital firm. Uh, We invest into the earliest stages of companies, Um, and so we've invested in gosh, let's say north of a of a hundred or so companies, uh, today. <laughs> and so yeah, I a lot of companies that we, we backed. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we backed quite a few, uh, companies that were, were founded by Asians, mm. um, as well. And so for example, like Lyle is a company backed by Asians boxed, yeah. um, uh, out in New York, uh, honey, uh, which was at George Ron, uh, we backed him. And, and, and so we, we actually, um, we backed quite a few uh, uh, Asian founders, if you will, and um, I'm very proud of that. And we uh, we actually, if you look at what Beyond Ventures has invested in, it's, it's really interesting. Is that um, we 50% of the companies we've invested in are female founders, hmm. um, which is um, I think the, the 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 right number, truthfully, uh, because half the founders are female. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, 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 we actually um, I, I think it's maybe because me and Rich are both Asian Rich John um, my partner in mentors, and I have another partner Shameen, uh, Bastami, who's um, Iranian Persian um, and so the three of us are minorities and so we actually don't look really at you know anything other than you know can this team execute right and is it a good yeah. idea we don't look at you know, are they, you know, white, black, Latinx, are they Asian? We don't, we don't look at any of that. We actually do just kind of invest behind who we consider the best entrepreneurs. And fascinatingly, is that, you know, if you look at our mix of entrepreneurs and mix of founders, it's 50-50 female, male, and the, the number of companies started by minorities are pretty much in line with you know, the population yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting
0: yeah i mean it's it should be right because but un- unfortunately at i mean if, if you, you can look at any uh study of of venture right like it's unfortunately not that right um and, and so you know I, I know there are um other venture firms um i was just reading that uh dave Lou at hyphen capital just announced his first six investments and you know, they're purely focused on Asian American founders. Right. And there are others, other funds that are like Harlem capital, like that are purely focused on black founders, or at least, you know, trying to help that community. But it is, it's, I don't know what it is, but because I think the, the fact that we even have to talk about the fact that your founder data set reflects the general population and that's not, not something to celebrate, but something to note rather. I, I think, you know, it, it does speak to the general, you know, what what we have to work on to make sure that it's not something we even have to talk about, you know, going forward. So I, I think that's really fascinating. I, I was going to just note that it's it's nice to see um you uh give a USC football player some shine in Juju because um, he's, he's one of my favorite guys to watch in the NFL. And, and just the character and like a marketer's dream almost. Because he's, yeah, just a fun-loving fun guy. Let, let's talk a little bit about, um, as we you know get to a close and in our conversation, what, what is the legacy piece for you, Brian? You, we know where you've come from. We know the sacrifices that your parents made and uh, the risks that they took for, for you to have these opportunities. And you know you mentioned you have two children. Now you are working with and alongside household names, both as personalities and as brands that we've all... We're all familiar with what. What is. What do you want the Brian Lee legacy to be for? For one, I guess it's a two-part question. One for your kids, and one one for everybody else.
1: Yeah. So the legacy for my kids that I want to leave behind is is really just instilling into them, you know, uh, the values that were instilled into me. Um, Not only you know determination and hard work. uh, Of course, those are important values, but really. The, the, the values of, of empathy and, and understanding and kindness. I, I, I really want to, I mean, I, I kind of look at my children and, and that's really, they are my greatest achievement in a lot of ways. And you know, that's what I, that's the legacy I want to leave behind um, with them. And in terms of, you know, leaving behind a legacy for, 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 you know, in terms of business, it's, I never really thought about that. I, I never concerned myself, you know, honestly, that that important of a person that I, I, I like. I, I want to leave behind this this legacy. I, I never really thought about myself in that way. Um, but if anything, it, I, I would say it's really, um, you know, that 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 I, I've helped, you know, a lot of other people uh, try to achieve their goals and uh, as a, as an investor, as a mentor, as, um, someone who, who, like, I, I try my best truthfully to, to get back to, to anyone who really reaches out to me, um, especially if they're Asian. <laughs> um, I, I really, even on LinkedIn, it's like, it's like, <laughs> you know, if I notice that you're Asian, I, I try to get back to you. And so I really do want to be there for the community and, and, you know, help other Asians kind of, uh, achieve, you know, their, their goals and their aspirations.
0: I think that's awesome, you know, and, and I think it just, I, I don't know if you and other Brian and, you know, with, with, with the assist from John, who's running the ship now, like, you know, at, at some point, there's, there's going to be a story looking back on the LegalZoom story. There, there has to be, right? Because if every great founder, you know, the, the memoir is not just for your own reflection, but for so many, so many other people to, to learn from you. So so, I'm excited to read that. Whenever you find a time, I know you're so busy to to write a book, and then I'm putting it into the universe so that uh, <laughs> pe- people bug you about it. But I, I I think what you're doing with me now, making time for this, making time for the other panels that I've seen you and Rich both speak on, um, in our community, and and like you mentioned, you know there there is a little bit of hey, you know I want to help younger kids that look like me because I, maybe having me respond back to them is is the thing that's going to help change the trajectory of their career or, you know, give them a little bit of guidance. And, and I think, you know, we need more of that. Um, we, we need, we need more of you. We need more of uh, uh, so many of us that are doing great things and building businesses and doing all that. So I just want to say, thank you.
1: Oh, thank you, Jerry. And we need more of you. <laughs> we need more people
0: <laughs> like you too. So. You know, it's, 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 it's been, yeah. And, and I, so, for folks who are hearing this. This is going to be episode ninety-nine, and and I shared this story with you too, and uh, I, I do it often. Episode one hundred in a couple of days will be on March second. It's my daughter's uh, second birthday, um, and and we started this show last year on her birthday with episode one as a gift to her and her contemporaries. Whenever they grow up and can understand all this stuff, because I almost wish, you know, what what if you Brian had like live in the moment reflection stories of your dad, as he was going door to door, as he was building. Right. And what, what lessons can we have now to share with, you know, cause memory fades or time fades memories. And so this entire project of, you know, it was started as a podcast project. Now, now it's a business, like to share our stories one because they matter Two because I'm selfish and I want to leave it for my kids. And then three, because there's not a lot of other people asking us to tell our stories. And and that's what's important to me. But I can't do what I do unless people like you, one have done some amazing things in life, and two are, are willing to invest the time back into uh, uh, leaving something behind. And and so know that you know you you've inspired me personally. Obviously, you know you've inspired so many other people that I have conversations with, not just through the actions of of business as we mentioned, but just caring. And and I'll say one thing, Brian. You you mentioned something. Um, I, I saw you speak but when we could, um, and you know, you you mentioned how nothing else matters except family, right? And that you've declined business meetings and you generally decline speaking opportunities because you generally like to reserve your evenings dedicated to your children. And, and then you made an exception for that one because it was at the consulate general's house and it was a pretty big deal. Right. And that stuck with me, right? Because I had come to that event straight from the airport when I was a consultant and like, I was miserable, right? Like, what am I doing leaving my house, <laughs> you know, all, all this time. And, and so when I decided to go on this entrepreneurial journey, uh, telling our stories and, and speaking more, what you share then of just, you know, remember why you do it, what, remember why you're doing all of this. And for me, it's family and, and that time is precious. And so I, I hope that other folks uh, realize that too you know, being able to control my schedule is one thing, but if I'm not prioritizing the things and the people that matter to me, then what's it for, right? And so I, I want to end the the conversation with this as, as we do. So, so the name of the show is The Asian Americans. Um, it is in essence, a letter uh, to our community from us uh, fellow community members into asking people to dream, inspire, hope in whatever uh, words that come uh, most comfortably for you, Brian. So, if you could help us finish out the show and, and complete the letter. And so I'll start it. Dear Asian Americans, Dear
1: Asian Americans, um, you know, be proud of who you are, work hard, speak up, be part of the conversation make a difference and love each other.
0: Thank you. That was awesome. And I don't know, I don't know how you're feeling about it. Cause I've been fanboying over you this entire time and it's really, really awesome. And I, I know you hear it a lot and I don't know how it makes you feel, but you have made a really big impact on, on so many people. So thank you for doing what you do and to, and, and to all the other, you know, and th- those in, in, in your circles, uh, the ones at least from where I sit, uh, the ones that we look up to as hyungs and you know the the ogs in our community, just really have set I think a really good example for all of us, not just as business people, but uh, as human being and as as parents, as fathers. And so you know, ho- hopefully we'll, we'll continue the the train going and, and keep the uh, keep passing down the torch. But it has re- really been an awesome uh, full circle moment for me to uh, have you on the show. You know, as as I joked earlier, I'm so glad that the right questions weren't asked on the other show. Otherwise, none of this might have never happened. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and so uh, share with us how, how can, you know, what what, are, what is something that you're working on that people can uh, support or, you know, bring a little bit more visibility to some of the Projects or the businesses that you're supporting, how can folks support you? Because you, you've done so much for the community.
1: That's that's a very thoughtful question to, to end this with. But um, and there's so many things that I, I, I believe in and support. And one of the things that um that I care deeply about is access to education. Uh, and so we are. My, my wife is very involved, and in, so therefore, I'm very involved also uh, in the Independent School Alliance. Um, And so it's basically uh, a non-profit uh, that provides uh, the greatest education um, opportunities to uh, kids most in need, right? So kids from the inner cities of Los Angeles, they're providing um, uh, access to the top kind of independent schools in in the city. Um, And so it's a pretty great cause, and if you want to learn more, you could go to independent school alliance.org and, um, and learn more.
0: i never heard about this. This is awesome. I'm looking at the website now. So cool.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and let me know how I can uh, be helpful to you in the, in
0: the future. You know, my, my goal, Brian, one of these days is, is, is to email you and, and say, Brian, I got an idea and we need to talk. That, that's okay, the goal. Perfect. I I, okay. I don't have an idea that's, you know, ready for that stage yet. But, you know, I, I've had a, a very similar sort of, you know, heartfelt conversation with uh, uh, Eric up in San Francisco at Goodwater. And and I, I you know, and, and maybe it's not fair because I don't know so many of the other folks in the industry, but it's really heartwarming because I, I think far beyond the business stuff, uh, you and Eric are just like good dudes and and good mentors and just kind people that, yeah, you guys are super smart and can, you know, uh, invest in the right businesses and and be super successful traditionally, but, you know, far beyond that as as human beings, just so awesome. So thank you. Yeah. Eric actually made me cry two years ago, which was something that (laughs) not many, not many dudes have done before. Uh, Uh,
1: I got to go listen to that one.
0: But uh, no, it wasn't actually a conversation. So he spoke at a NetCal thing up in San Francisco when I was in the program. And so uh, had a chance to, I actually emceed that dinner that he spoke at. And that was also coincidental because somebody canceled. And so Young Chung just called Eric and said, hey, can you speak? And and so Eric came, came and spoke. And so we developed a, a friendship there. And, you know, I was down in LA at the time. Uh, I was working, I transitioned from Accenture to WeWork, but I was still going to San Francisco a couple of times. And so anyway, so I sent Eric a book and just... I don't know why or how, but it was, you know, um, it, it's The Go-Giver by uh, Bob Berg and John David Mann. And I, I show up to his office for just to, you know, drop in and chat. And at the end of our conversation, which was also very, like, just insane, he goes, hey, come here with me. And so he takes me to the other side of his office. And then he picks up a box from his desk. And I have no idea what's in the box. And then we, we go to his bullpen area where all of his folks are working. There must be 20-something of them. And then he busts out an Amazon box, and he's bought a copy of the book I gave him for everybody in his team. And I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, wow. How do How do you not like tear? You know? And he's like,
1: "Yeah,
0: I, I love the book so much that I bought a copy for everybody on my team, and I'm gonna tell them that you gave it to them." Like,
1: oh, that's awesome. And I was like, "Dude,"
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so I don't, I don't know. It, it's It's weird when other other dudes make you cry, but that was. You know, it it was such a pointed moment for me, and and so, yeah, for all of you guys, you know, it's been it's been fun. I I cannot wait until we can see each other again, and yeah, please let me know how I can help. I will I will send an introduction email uh, to Laura um, over at HBS. I will personally I'd be geeked out if there was a a case written about you guys because I think um, it's really one of the uh, untold great business stories that that feature. Uh, people that look like me and you, and so selfishly, I want that to happen. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to map it to happen, I'll
0: take a very, very deep photo. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, really, 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 so much. Uh, th- this will go out over the weekend. We, we have our hundredth, or first anniversary on, on on Tuesday, so just really, really, thank you. I'm going to assume that I can find a photo of you that's high res on on Google. Otherwise. I'll reach out to your admin and see if I can get something that we can use for marketing. Cool. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank your family for, for me for uh, you know, letting me have this time with you and uh, looking forward to seeing you in, in person super soon.
1: Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day.
0: And we will put the link to the Independent School Alliance website on our show notes. And I want to thank Brian for making time for us today. What a great way to help us finish out our first 99 episodes in, in true full circle format, I am so grateful for him for making time for us and just wanted to say thank you publicly so much for making this entire thing happen without that story, without that podcast and without the absence of the critical follow-up, none of this would have happened. So Brian, thank you so much for allowing this to happen. Thank you for joining me here today and, and sharing this conversation with us. And I am so, so grateful. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you next time for episode 100 on Dear Asian Americans. Thank you. That one was really awesome for me. It's really, to be frank, it's really hard not to get emotional when I think about the impact that he's made on me, um, even though we've never met. And so I want to encourage people out there, create something, speak, get on stages, write, take pictures, create video whatever it is, because you really, really don't know what the true impact of your work is going to be far after you've turned the camera off, far after you've uploaded something. And in Brian's case with me, it was when he guessed it on somebody else's show. What if he didn't say yes to that interview? What if he assumed the follow-up and went on a longer answer of what that meant for him? We wouldn't be here today. Um, I wouldn't be here today sharing this story with you and Perhaps theories of Americans would not even exist in the first place. And so please share. Uh, as, as we near the end of our uh, one year together here, um, I want to th- continue to thank you. If you haven't subscribed to this show yet, please do. Uh, we do have a Patreon for those that who who want to support uh, financially to the growth of our show. It's patreon.com slash The Americans. And engage with us. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, we have a robust clubhouse Uh, schedule of things that are going on in that world and uh, reach out to me you can just email hello at jerrywan.com and i would love 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 to uh, meet you and to share stories with you Um, so many of you have done that whether through dm or email or found me on linkedin and i am so grateful quite an introspective week for me as we near the one year uh, mark of the show so with nothing but gratitude uh, and hope for the future thanks so much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.